Welcome to the Do Dilly Podcast. I'm Niall Baer with Helios Quantitative Research. This show has been designed to support financial advisors and the conversations that you are having with your clients. Each month, I'll be joined with Joe Mallon and Jason Van Thiel from our research team, and we'll take a deep dive into recent and important events. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the July edition of the Do Dilly Podcast. This is Niall Baer, your host. Join with my co-hosts. Go ahead and introduce yourselves, guys. This is Joe Mallon. And Jason Van Thiel. Awesome. So let's get right into it. Today, our first topic at hand is going to be kind of loosely based around the topic of skew and how some of these meme stocks are just turning skew on its head. Traditionally, where people looked at volatility as a pricing mechanism and options to show what what they would expect as far as the volatility ahead and how people are pricing that volatility. And it seems like in these meme names, not only have they turned fundamentals on their head, but they're starting to turn technicals on their head. I thought it would be kind of fun to scratch your guy's brain a little bit. Is that how you say it? Scratch your brain, pick your brain? It's gross. I don't know. Either way, we're getting into your brain. Don't scratch my brain now. I don't want to scratch your brain, Jason. That would be disgusting. But today, let's do it for the podcast listeners. Joe, you know, we talked about this a little bit before the show. What did you find that was kind of fascinating about these individual names? And, you know, after we talk about that, maybe we can jump into what the takeaway is for advisors that are talking to their clients about it. Yeah, I think on the back of what we've talked quite a bit about is the meme stock mania and just the crazy price movements and valuations. You're you're also getting some people playing options around these meme stocks, and they're learning some very valuable quantitative lessons, in my opinion, where the implied volatility on a lot of these stocks is well in excess of 100%. So what does that mean? It means that when you buy an option contract, whether that be buy or sell a call or buy or sell a put, um, you're taking this position that you have the option to either buy or sell a stock at a certain price. Sounds great. You know, limited downside, great potential upside if you're a buyer of one of the two. But the pricing dynamics of options are very complicated. They're they're very, you know, formula driven. What you're seeing in those prices now is just crazy implied volatility. That's the one variable in in option prices that's determined by the market. For example, when GameStop was trading at call it $200. If you wanted to buy the option to sell it. So if you bought a put hoping that the price would go down, you could have been paying close to $100 over a short period of time. What this means is that the stock would actually need to fall from 200 to below 100 um, in order to profit. And that's a 50% loss. So it's just crazy numbers, crazy dynamics. And I think folks have learned that just buying that put, the stock could go down 45% and you still don't make any money. Um, on that option contract. Um, I did that personally. I, I bought a put on GameStop and the stock went down quite a bit, but it just didn't go down enough to really um, capture any profit on that position. And that was due to the crazy high implied volatility on that stock when I put, when I purchased the option. So what does that really mean and why is it different with these stocks versus just the industry as a whole? And Niall mentioned the term skew. And th- what skew is, is just the implied volatility of an option series of contracts on an individual name. So typically, when you buy or sell a call or a put at the money, meaning you buy a contract that's successful up or down from where it currently sits, that has the the implied volatility of the stock embedded in it and call it 20% on an annualized basis. When you start to purchase contracts 
out of the money to the downside, that volatility number ticks up. And this makes sense because if you're trying to make a bet that the stock is going to go down, in those events, volatility tends to spike as well. Therefore, you have this heightened implied volatility to the downside. But when it goes up, it it tends to go up a little bit, but not as much to the downside. So you get a number call, call it 25% as you go 125% out of the money to the upside. But you might have a number like 35% if you go 25% to the downside. And that's the concept of skew and why it's not this perfect linear relationship and implied volatility. I just wanted to dig into something nerdy too. And it, it's fascinating because you hear about, you know, the guys in the Wall Street bets, they're they're buying out of the money calls. That's how they're making, you know, a killing. And that's where you see it in the news and the journal. And you get people going to Congress to talk about it and things like that. And you would think that we would have stopped talking about it right now. I think we brought it up once in January and we kind of played it off like, yeah, meme stocks, ha ha ha. And here we are in January where some of these names are still elevated. July. July, sorry. And they've been halved and then brought back. So it's just kind of fascinating to think, is this concept here to stay where you're going to have some names that just turn traditional metrics on their heads where volatility is going up when their stock price goes up, where usually it's in the opposite direction. And it's probably fueled by social media, people's interactions, stuff like that. Do you guys think it's here to stay or do you think it's just, are we going to keep saying, ah, it's just that little thing or is it just, it's it's here to stay and you can't downplay it anymore? I think it, like, it might fizzle out at some point, but I think, you know, for the coming, you know, short to medium term, there's going to be kind of this subculture um, kind of surrounding investing in Robinhood and Reddit. And, you know, it's become the barriers to entry are so low and you get, you know, kind of, it's so easy to share your ideas, you get kind of the same thing that you've seen in, you know, any sort of other like memes or music and, you know, pop music, you get these kind of big bands that have, you know, one hit, they become popular overnight and then they go nowhere. Um, it's kind of the same that these, you're kind of getting the the mania of the crowds instead of the wisdom of the crowds um, playing out in, in these names. I think too, it's pretty simple. Um, and why this, phenomenon has really shown up in skew with the meme stocks is when you think about any asset, where's the volatility? Is it if it goes up or is it the volatility if it goes down? And with traditionally with most stocks, volatility goes up when the price goes down, right? Your market sells off and volatility spikes. That's a traditional relationship. But here with a a GameStop or an AMC, they get really volatile when they spike up. That's what we've seen. And that's why you see the option pricing structure matching that. And it's a similar relationship with like oil. You know, when oil prices fall, it tends to be less volatile, but when they go up, it becomes more volatile. So skew isn't always to to the downside in some assets, it's to the upside. And that's what we're seeing. I, I And I think it makes sense if you think of it in that context. Well, I, I think it's pretty fascinating stuff. And I'm curious to see if it continues to play out in individual names. I've heard a couple people just trying to say, yeah, you know, it's super easy. You, you attach some technicals or some sort of trend movement to these meme stocks and I'm going to buy it on, I'm going to short it on the way down and buy it on the way up. I just don't buy it. I, I feel like you hear those conversations with people that are getting really lucky, but the process, the more that you prod under the hood, it breaks down. And people who are saying that there is a process to be able to easily play these names or 
or like investing is easy. When you start challenging that and you have conversations with people like yourselves who can look at, okay, what would we traditionally look at to measure whether or not this is a good trade? And all of that is inverted on its head. It stops making sense, right? When it kind of throws a wrench into overall price discovery, um, where you have, you know, the traditional way the, the market functions is you obviously have, you know, a group of buyers and a group of sellers and they agree on, upon a price. When you have, you know, you add in a few thousand individual buyers that are only looking at it in one direction, like that relationship gets kind of messed up, you know, for, for, for the short term, at least. And, you know, something that I'll just throw in there that I've always found to be fascinating is that things that work in the micro, maybe an individual stock, don't necessarily work in like a, an allocation on in the aggregate. And so a lot of people will take, especially investors that aren't, you know, that are new or maybe retail people that we're trying to help with advice. And they think that you can apply the same dynamics to an individual name as you can apply to the allocation. And it, it they just don't work the same, right? They don't translate. And so I think that's a big takeaway here as well is that looking at individual stocks and how they've done does not translate to how you should set up your portfolio. Completely. Although I think we have seen it, not direct, not the exact same, but we have seen, you know, no one called them this, but meme ETFs effectively mm-hmm. kind of play out earlier this year. I think you just coined a new term, Jason, meme ETFs. Well, what, what was the, it's the Dave Portnoy one. What was the ticker? Well, even beyond that, not, e- not even ETFs focused on meme stocks of just ETFs themselves becoming, you know, a meme ETF in, in and of themselves with the, you know, a rabid following of people. That brings up an interesting point because it's getting directionally less expensive to issue an ETF. And we we know a couple of services that will white label that for you. I'm surprised that we haven't seen an influencer that's making a million dollars a month through their YouTube audience issue an ETF. Yeah. I mean, they probably get sued, but I'm sure that's coming. It's it's buzz. That's the one. Social sentiment ETF. It's, you know, Dave Portnoy and Barstool. But he just co-signed it though. It's not like a, this is mine and these are my stock picks that are in it. And there's only 15 names in it. And they're all, you know, it reminds me of Kramer's perfect list or whatever he called it in 2000. It was like his top 10 picks and they were all negative 90% or more within four years. I did see an interesting take on this. That's basically this, what you said, Niall, is that, you know, once you start doing this, if you have, if you effectively have an influencer audience and a business surrounding that, putting an ETF to your name, now you all of a sudden have a track record and you need to like actually put up numbers instead of you know just make aggressive calls that people will forget in three months time. All right, transitioning into the next topic in a just absolutely terrible manner. Um, let's talk about alternative investments because I do think it's relatively similar to these individual names, but then we start zooming out a little bit and the question that I would pose to you guys is that I hear advisors more and more frequently seeking alternative investments right now because you know there's a lot of buzzwords out there, but inflation's one of them. Um, maybe overheated stocks as far as directionally when when it comes to their valuations or really low interest rates, and so they're looking for an alternative there to play the fixed income world. Um, what are your thoughts on alts? Where do you use them with clients and their portfolios, and how are you talking with advisors now about it? Um, it's always been a question. I think it's picking up a little bit more now as a, uh, probably a function of really high valuation of stocks, interest rates, super low on bonds and people worrying about rising rates. Um, you know, the inflation conversation a little bit and 
you know, I think the question comes from where do I go? And there's this, you know, nebulous other asset class called alternatives. And, you know, JVT and I both have uh, a lot of experience in this arena. That's where we started our careers is, you know, doing a lot of work on fund of hedge funds and due diligence. And it, it, it's hard to explain it to an advisor just because it's such a broad category. And you can't say they're either good, bad, or or anything like that. It's what are you looking at? What purpose? Um, what type of structure? Have you done the due diligence? It's such a, a, a difficult arena to try to harness if you're an advisor. So um, the first thing we try to say is just, what do you want? Um, that's often a hard question to answer too, because they're like, well, I just, I want that alternative exposure, but I can't tell you explicitly what type of alternatives. And then I think they get themselves into trouble by just saying, well, let's buy anything with an alternative label. Let's buy something that's long short. Let's buy something equity market neutral or, oh, this hedge fund sounds interesting. And that's where you, that's where, you know, you can really get yourself into trouble. So the best way to answer that question for them is really give them a a handful of solutions. Um, Are you looking for just derivative outcomes of equity exposure? Are you looking for equity long short, equity market neutral? Are you looking to get into private markets through private equity? Um, Are you looking for global macro and trying to, to identify what purpose it's holding within the portfolio is the best way to, I mean, really structure entry into the asset class. Yeah, and to be sure that you're not just buying a structure like the the hedge fund or a LP structure uh, that does you know long short equity or something. What you're buying is equity exposure in a different wrapper that's typically more expensive and less liquid. Um, so be eyes wide open and be kind of you know do your due diligence of like what are you actually buying and what are you trying to get out of it. Um, if you're looking for for in like in the liquid alts space like. If you're looking for someone to manage, um, you know, equity exposure, equity beta, make sure that they have a mandate to do that. A lot of those kind of equity market nu- neutral or equity long short mutual funds, they kind of stay within a band. They're either, you know, net zero to 20 or kind of net 100. And they do like a 130, 30 type thing. Um, that's not going to accomplish what you're trying to buy. So you have to be very careful of, of what the mandate for the fund is and how the fund um, you know, what the personality of of the PM is and how they like to do their their management of the fund. Well, speaking of due diligence, and, you know, this is the Due Dealy podcast, there's got to be some sort of compliance risk. If you're serving your clients in a fiduciary capacity and you're going to put them in an alternative product that has higher fees traditionally. I mean, I read an article this week and it was talking about 401k plans and the administrator basically said, if you're serving as a fiduciary going with a low cost option is your best bet. To me, I was just like, that sounds so lazy as far as being able to do your due diligence. It's just, if you take on an investment that has a higher amount of fees, you need to do your due diligence and be able to justify why it's inside of the portfolio. What are some of the justifications, I guess, just the low hanging fruit to you guys that would make sense as an advisor to be able to tell a client, yeah, there are higher fees in this, but this is why we're doing it. I mean, that's the problem. Um, Just because something's higher fee doesn't mean it's better or more complicated. Right. And it, it, it's kind of funny to me that if you look at our industry, where are some of the higher fees justified? You look at emerging markets, you look at small cap. Why do they have higher fees? I argue they're not doing more work there. It's because their capacity to manage that strategy isn't as large and they need to make their money. 
That's just the truth. You know, we need to make X amount of dollars for our time. And that's why they become more expensive. That's not a fiduciary to your client reason. And that's where I think, um, you know, people that have done a lot of that work, that's where they end up. They end up at the low cost exposure because you're ultimately fighting, trying to gain excess return and paying a higher fee to do it. Um, but that that's, I think, just more amplified in the alternative space that um, that used to be back in the mid 2000s that people would pay very high fees for the biggest celebrity hedge fund managers because they just, you know, really killed it as far as returns go. Um, but I think that got figured out a little bit. It was leverage or there was a reason there was added risk there. It wasn't just pure genius that people got those great returns. And that's why the alternatives industries really struggled since the mid 2000s and after the great financial crisis. And, you know, there wasn't a, an endowment that didn't want access to Madoff. Why? They never did their proper due diligence. They just wanted the, the great returns that were advertised. So putting your clients into alternatives is going to be more expensive. You have to do a ton of work to kind of CYA and, um, you know, try to avoid those traps like the Madoffs of the world because they can really damage your firm forever, if not put you out of business. Having said that, Joe, what's your favorite? <laughs> no, the interest in alternatives is very cyclical too. Whenever we come out of kind of the depths of a crisis, they become a lot more popular because some subsection of like the broad alternative section did well. And people are kind of chasing that hot dot experience. We had it in 2008. We're having it now. Um, so be careful that you're, that's not what, why you're kind of diving into this research. Because what did well now can almost guarantee you isn't going to be the best performer going forward. I was talking to a, a, an advisor recently. I was like, you know, I've never bought an alt that actually turned out to kind of do what I expected it to do. I think that's a common experience and why the kind of the alt space and the liquid alt space has kind of struggled to maintain relevance over the past, you know, five plus years. We've said it for lots of things in our industry, right? I think, I think for the most part, alts are sold. They're not bought. Um, You're really sold and convinced to purchase something. You're not really seeking that type of product. So what's the, um, the website that goes through the, Everybody's 13F. What is it? Whale. Whale Wisdom. That's kind of interesting. They, they wrote an article that goes through like the, the top hedge fund managers and like where the flows follow. It's all celebrity names like you're saying. It's not based on performance. You know, it's based off of who has the biggest audience, which, you know, is a good straight line into our next topic. Um, the first one, you know, we talked about celebrities at the end issuing their own ETFs. And then we talk about hedge fund managers who have been basically doing the same thing forever as alternative investments. Now let's kind of talk about what we've been working on internally at Helios, how it speaks to customization for an advisor that they have flexibility to be able to become their own asset manager, why that's such a big deal. And what's the big secret? Like, why did we do it? And behind the curtain, what do advisors not know what's going on and how we kind of broke that down to be able to serve them with what they actually need instead of all the extra crap that they pay insane premiums for well to to close your last thought there is a etf called guru that scrapes 13f filings for top hedge fund managers for their top holdings and puts it into an etf you can actually buy that concept how's it performing that i don't know 
And I bet you I could hear the hedge funds screaming, don't benchmark it to the S&P. Yeah. Benchmark it to, the, to a moderate portfolio. Well, it's lost money. Well, look at what it did for correlation and volatility. Well, and 13Fs are a particularly bad way of doing it because you're only getting long positions and you're getting them um, you know, months after the fact. Shut up, JVT. Great. Thanks, Jason. So Guru is just a terrible product, is what Jason's saying. Yeah, as soon as you put scraping in there, people want to buy it. Anyways, let's let's go back to the point that we were on, which is what do we figure out in the asset management industry that's a problem? Why did we create this solution that we did? And how impactful do you think it's going to be for advisors? We're just I don't call it launching because we've we've been doing this for for five years now with a focus on the delivery of quantitative research and models for advisors. Um, I think the access to these types of concepts in the past has only been available through mutual funds, maybe some ETFs, um, strategists, whether going directly to them for an SMA account or through a TAMP platform where you can subscribe to models, subscribe directly. Any way you get it, it tends to be a very expensive structure. And it also doesn't let you keep control in-house at your firm. doesn't allow you to make any decisions. Um, doesn't allow you to pick your holdings. But there's a lot of validity into to those concepts. So what we did, and we're, again, really, really excited about is examined a bunch of different ways to quantitatively manage a portfolio. And we broke through the black box. We're giving advisors and in turn their end clients transparency into some of the best quantitative techniques that there are to manage the risk within a portfolio, um, manage position sizes, manage um, you know where you're investing geographically or by sector, and providing all of that intellectual property to an advisor. And then we work very closely with them to say, here's all of the ways that can help benefit a portfolio, whether it be, you know, trying to to seek that excess return, or whether it be trying to manage the risk through volatile times, and educating them on what those concepts are, they take these concepts, package them together in a series of models, and then execute it for their client. And they can maintain control they do the trading they have the story with their client and we just exist in the background and we think that it is it, it's so revolutionary in our industry because we're the only platform that people can provide high quality thoroughly researched um, strategies to their clients they have full control and customization over what they do. They can own the narrative with their client and be proactive in explaining to their clients what they're doing in their portfolios. And we do it at a fraction of the cost of every other solution. So, Well, not only a fraction of the cost, but at a flat fee. Yeah, and I think that's the most important part. We, we jokingly say, like, it, it, what I hate about our industry is somebody builds a spreadsheet then they go around and sell it for 50 basis points via a tap platform for forever. And it's like, well, should you be really making a, a you know, a hundred thousand dollars of my client's money every year because you built a spreadsheet? And I think the answer is the answer is no, you should be paying what you're getting in return. And that is, do they offer service commentary? Do they work with you? to tweak and cater things that make the most sense for your practice. So um, we're really bluntly trying to break down the whole 
camp model or the old insourced or or, or hiring a CIO type model, because we think both of those just don't have the best outcome for an advisor. They're either very expensive. um, You know, a TAMP can be 20, 30 basis points when you lop on the third-party managers you're using. And you have limited solutions. You have no control over those solutions. You have to jump between stories and maintain those stories. We say, stay on your TAMP. Just be rep as PM. And we'll give you all the IP to execute your own firm's models. And you're going to go from paying, call it 20, 30 basis points to maybe five. And that's just a huge, huge savings for an advisor. Or if you're doing it in-house, if you have your own CIO, use our research to help supplement their, their role. Let them be in front of clients more often and you know, really help grow your business and let us do all of the really heavy lifting when it comes to the investment component of your practice. So that's what, what, you know, sounds a little bit like a, a plug. It is. Um, that's what we do. It's what we're passionate about. Um, and what we're excited about rolling out here in the latter half of 2021. Yeah. I think the fascinating part too, is that most people don't even know that this is possible and we're kind of our own worst enemy in that way and that we white label all of our solutions. So you don't really, we're not outwardly um, advertising all the way down to the consumer, if an advisor is using us, you probably don't even know it, right? And it's how we've quietly grown over the past five years. Um, but people don't know what they don't know. And when they start to see that, oh, I can have this really robust service offering on the investment side with all the compliance documentation stuff that I need, all the communication I need for my clients, all the control that I want to have in-house and all the customization that we could ever ask for in a quant strategy uh, from an allocation level, um, and then to have dedicated support on top of that for a flat fee. Sometimes I just want to shake an advisor's shoulders and be like, what are you doing? Like, this is such an obvious thing. And when I explain it to other industry insiders or especially people who come from the hedge fund industry or something like that, they're like, wow, that's fantastic. Um, and you give them a due diligence report on the same day, you know, like working super fast. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And the real plug here is that on July 21st at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to do a webinar that walks through the details of this, that explains the high level, like what Joe said. Um, we're going to have our CEO, Chris Shuba, on the line as well. Joe's going to be there. I'll probably play MC or something like that for transitions or really bad jokes. And we're going to highlight why we built it, what we built, how this is new, and what it means if you implement it. And even if you don't decide to go with us, as an advisor, understanding what's happening in the industry, how it's shifting and maybe how your competition is adopting something that is driving down costs to be able to have a more compelling conversation with their clients, not only on the fee side, but then also on what they're doing to match um, you know, the, the strategies to who they are as an investor that's outside of just basic risk tolerance stuff. That's huge. And so I feel like as an advisor, I would show up just to make sure that I know what's going on in the industry and what innovation is actually happening underneath the hood. So July 21st, be there. Jason, I might even get you to make a, a sneak appearance for the for the fans that you have. He's got a lot of Twitter followers. Where are we at now, Jason? I've got a fan? <laughs> <laughs> Two of them, Joe and, Joe and I. <laughs> anyway, so it'll be a good time. It's going to be a great presentation. Chris is a much better communicator than all of us combined, so I can't wait to see how it's rolled out. If you want to sign up for that webinar, go ahead and go to heliosdriven.com forward slash democratize quant. 
That's heliosdriven.com forward slash democratize quant. And you'll be able to sign up for the webinar there. And we look forward to it. Other than that, like, subscribe, all the stuff that we normally ask of you. Really big deal that you um, like and subscribe if, if you're enjoying this podcast so that we know that you're enjoying it. And I can go back and make an argument to the team that I'm not wasting Joe and Jason's time or my time too. Uh, so really important. If you want, even leave a scathingly positive review for us. That would be even, even better. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next month. Helios Quantitative Research is a DBA of Clear Creek Financial Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor. The views expressed in this recording are personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Helios Quantitative Research itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, tax, legal, or other advice, and it should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. Advisory services are only offered clients or prospective clients where our firm and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by our firm unless a client service agreement is in place. Helios Quantitative does not work with individuals and therefore does not provide personal financial advice. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions, which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Helios Quantitative Research does not assume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Helios Quantitative research as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including indirect, indirect, special, or consequential loss of damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright Helios Quantitative Research, LLC, all rights reserved.